Economist thinks big tech is finished. Are they right? It's Wednesday, August 17th, 2022. This is the Kelly Letter Podcast, and I'm Jason Kelly. I've thought for years that tech has been in an innovation slump. It's been forever since I was excited about some new feature that was announced or some additional capability or or marginal improvement in a device. I mean, when was the last time you were as excited about some kind of tech release as you might have been by the announcement of the iPod way back when or the iPhone? It's, It's just been sort of iterative advancement since then. And I think quite a few people are feeling like, hmm, hmm, hmm. When's the next big thing going to come? We've been hearing about Google's self-driving car for 20 years. Where's that? We've been hearing about, well, flying cars and really exotic technologies for a very long time. And we can't even get a decent level of Siri. I mean, when was the last time you enjoyed a conversation with Siri? (laughs) Ha ha. Doesn't exist, right? All you can do basically is tell Siri to turn the volume up, turn the volume down. What time is it in Jakarta? What's the temperature in Washington? How old is, insert celebrity name here, stuff like that. As soon as you get into any kind of nuance and detail, the thing bags out and you know how that goes. So I think quite a few of us who are early adopters or at least rely on technology, and the latter category has to be nearly everybody by now, has been kind of wondering what's going on in tech land. Is, is, is the future nothing but, but more, more gigabytes on the drive and more, more pixels on the screen and <laughs> better light management on a camera, maybe yet another lens on a camera? It, it, it has been quite a while since we felt like something big is going on. And so The Economist turned a, a, a gimlet eye on this from the lens of wondering if the businesses too might be coming to an end or or at least not standing out in any great way to grow revenues and profits as they've done for for a long time. And that they they might just be turning into something akin to old economy businesses, which, which haven't excited in a long time either. At the end of last month, The Economist reported that America's tech oligopoly is in trouble. And they define that oligopoly as a new initialism here, MAMA, with M-A-A-M-A, standing for Meta, Alphabet, Amazon, Microsoft, and Apple. That seems to be the the new version of FANG. Uh, So Meta, Alphabet, Amazon, Microsoft, and Apple are the big tech oligopoly that The Economist was targeting. And they went through what you're probably aware of, the, the group's stock prices are down. They've reported slower revenue growth. They're having to contend with old economy problems, such as gummed up supply chains. It seemed for a while there that tech was immune from real world things because it operates in this borderless, time zoneless internet sphere where, where no real world problems can, can, can get in the way. No wildfires, no earthquakes, no tsunamis, etc. And so Nothing could touch them, but here come the supply chain problems, and sure enough, even even big tech has had to deal with that. And in fact, Apple talked about suffering a little bit of a business trouble. Um, quote from the Economist: Chiefly because of supply chain snags in China, where factories are locked down with unnerving severity every time a case of COVID turns up. End quote. 
That's true. The the government, in my view, overreaction to COVID has caused trouble for anybody who makes anything or wants to move around. Um, we're all aware of that. And so the economist's point is that big tech was no exception to that. It also points out in its article that, that talent is harder to come by for big tech now. More than 2 million tech workers are already laboring in the field, which is up sevenfold in 10 years. And so the magazine thinks that stiffer competition from other industries is going to be harder on big tech because tech skills are needed in more and more places. And this ties into what I talked about a week ago with uh, the, the impact of, of a Taiwan invasion on the NASDAQ 100. And one of, one of the points being that it's not going to hit just the technology sector because the tech is everywhere now. So... So anything that harms tech is also going to harm, for example, automobile manufacturing, retailing, education, and so on, because technology is, is simply so pervasive these days. Well, The Economist takes that, that concept and says, therefore, it's getting harder and harder for specific tech companies to find highly skilled technical workers because they're getting decent job offers from, from non-tech companies as well. And I've, I've run into this in my own life, in fact, where a, a friend's child graduated with a, a software engineering degree and ended up working for a, a big bank instead of one of the big one of the big tech companies. And his goal was to work for a big tech company. So that says a lot about the the, the kind of inducements that uh, enticements rather that these these uh, non tech companies are offering these highly skilled tech workers. And another, another aspect that The Economist covered is that, that we're now seeing a post-pandemic reversion to pre-pandemic growth rates. Uh, during the lockdowns, of course, when people could stay home, get, get money from the government, and then order things on Amazon, spend time on the internet Googling, stream Netflix, interact with friends on social media, and so on. Well, during all that, of course, big tech thrived because that was right in their, right in their wheelhouse. But now that the pandemic's over and people are doing other things, they can get out and about more, then, then there's not as much focus on, on interacting with those big tech companies. Shopping at Amazon, for example, is down in favor of real-world shopping. All right, well, going through that rundown, it looks temporary to me, this kind of slowdown, um, such as the supply chain issues. I mean, those are being worked out pretty quickly. We seem to be toward the end of supply chain issues. I mean, things have been open for a while now. And I don't think anybody thought the pandemic would last forever. Uh, yes, tech did very well in the pandemic, which I still think is a feather in the, the, the cap of big tech's business model that something as, as, as complete as the pandemic's shutdown did not derail their businesses. I mean, a lot of businesses ended. They simply went bankrupt and disappeared in the pandemic. And others are barely, barely crippled by, barely struggled by, and are now struggling to get back on their feet. It's kind of a blessing, isn't it, that big tech did so well in the pandemic that we talk about it as being the tech boom during the pandemic. And now they're simply coming back to the pre-pandemic boom. That's what it was talked about. Think back to, to financial media coverage of the tech sector in 2018 and 2019. I mean, was the coverage then that, oh, this business model is terrible, These, the network effects of social media, Amazon's dominance of all things retail and, and cloud computing, and Google is running 90% of searches. Nobody was talking about it as these guys stink. These business models have no future whatsoever. It's, it's over for them in 2018 and 2019. No, they were talked about as, as behemoths, you know, packing bank accounts with cash. And they were, they were running wild with these amazingly successful business models. 
And then the pandemic hit and they did even better. And now that they're coming back to the, the great levels of success they had before the pandemic, it's being called a slowdown. And The Economist is making a hasty conclusion, in my view, that it's over for big tech. Really, going back to 2018 and 2019 levels of performance, which were looked upon enviously by non-tech companies in those years, is, is an indication that their business model is over? I don't think so. And as for that lack or the, the competition for high-tech talent, well, what's the answer to that? More money, more perks, probably. And if there's anything that these tech companies have, it's more money and lots of perks. Half of their offices look like playgrounds. I mean, it's, they seem like fun places to work and there's plenty of money sloshing around. And even in the slowdown, some of these companies are giving big bonuses to retain people and keep their people happy. Um, let, let's just all agree, money is not a problem for big tech. But the key to why we may not have so much to worry about comes at the end of The Economist's article. Let's look at that next. At the end of its article, The Economist concludes its report thusly. Quote, they may once again conjure up an all-new market, as Apple did with the iPhone's app economy, and hopes to repeat with augmented reality. Until that happens, though, the era of big tech exceptionalism is probably over. End quote. That's a pretty big hint as to why we shouldn't be giving up on big tech yet. Uh, where do you think the next innovation is most likely to come from? One of the big tech companies with deep pockets and lots of smart people researching day and night to try to come up with something bigger because it's so hard to move the needle at their level of success. Or from some upstart somewhere that the big tech companies can end up buying. Or from some old economy company. We can't know for sure, of course, but, but I would say big tech has a pretty good chance in this race for the future. Because all big tech is working on new markets. Apple is developing an electronic car and also working on augmented reality, as The Economist mentioned. Meta is developing the metaverse. It even changed its name and its entire focus for that. It gets uh, gobs of money from its legacy social media business, and it's putting a large portion of that money toward augmented reality and eventually virtual reality in this, this emerging concept it has of the metaverse. Amazon is going into pharmaceuticals. That might be a small incremental thing, but, but shows that even, even giant Amazon is looking for new ways to expand. Microsoft and Google are coming up with new devices and operating systems. It's been fairly incremental improvement so far, but improvement nonetheless. And who knows, maybe one of these years we'll get another device that shakes things up as much as, as the, the iPod and the iPhone, uh, maybe Microsoft Surface, the Kindle, for example, maybe we'll get impact along the lines of those devices that have, have changed their worlds. No, nothing that groundbreaking yet, but, but more innovation than we're seeing from old, old economy companies. I mean, how much excitement are you getting from new car models, for example? I mean, they've been in the same for years, right? Same with clothing, groceries, personal care products, and, and on and on. There are changes. There's, there's always something new on the shelf and so on, but it's very marginal. And, and tech has fallen into that too, but, but not to the extent that the old economy has. I, for one, in the grocery aisle, go back to the same cereal aisles again and again, um, fashion, <laughs> that's just a repeating cycle anyway. 
And I'm pretty sure my closet is is a nice encapsulation of the history of fashion over the last 30 years. <laughs> so this idea that that a, a lack of innovation means an industry is over is is really not the case. And I would even, as I've already said, I would I would not argue that that tech has stopped innovating. It's just in a bit of a holding pattern now until the next big thing comes along. Uh, one of those next big things might be Apple's car. That That is finally here. And to my great surprise, it looks like it's going to beat Google. I mean, Google started talking about its, its Google car 20 years ago. What happened to that thing? I can't wait for the documentary on what the heck happened in two decades. This this is probably big tech's biggest whiff of, of this century is that Google made the big announcement 20 years ago and then kind of went to sleep on the porch. Meanwhile, the others caught up and have surpassed it, apparently. And one of those that is doing well is Apple's car project. Automotive News reported last month that the company, quote, has enlisted one of Lamborghini's top car development managers in a sign that it's stepping up work on a self-driving electric vehicle, according to people with knowledge of the situation. The company hired Luigi Taraborelli, a 20-year veteran of the Italian brand, to help lead the design of Apple's future vehicle, said the people, who asked not to be identified because the matter is not public. Taraborelli was most recently Lamborghini's head of chassis and vehicle dynamics. End quote. This is a good example of big tech investing in its future in the downturn. Apple's not, not uh, tightening its its belt. It's not pulling back. It's not laying people off, controlling costs. No, it's going big. And quite a few analysts point out that, that downturns in the economy usually enable healthier, stronger competitors to emerge better, to, to lengthen their lead, not shorten it. Because other firms with fewer resources go bankrupt, get desperate, they get bought out, they go out of business, whatever it is, but the big ones survive. And in fact, the best time to invest is when everybody else is pulling back and Apple and other big tech are doing just that. And the New York Times covered this also back in May, an article called Big Tech is Getting Clobbered on Wall Street. It's a good time for them. Kind of says it all right there, what I was just talking about. From that article, quote, the big tech companies have tight control of some of the world's most lucrative businesses, social media, premium smartphones, e-commerce, cloud computing, and search. Their dominance in those areas, arenas, and toeholds in other businesses should blunt the pains of inflation, even as those challenges hammer big companies such as Walmart and Target. In the months ahead, Microsoft, Google, Apple, and Amazon are expected to boost hiring, buy more businesses, and emerge on the other side of a bearish economy stronger and more powerful, even if they shed some of their total valuation and their relentless growth of the last few years. End quote. And that, that latter part is, is a, a, a nod at what we were already talking about, that, that they're going to keep, they're, they're simply reverting back to the great growth they had before the pandemic. Okay, that's the relentless growth of the last few years. Well, that was a bonus. And now they're going back to the still impressive growth that preceded the pandemic. And shedding some of their total valuation, huh, big deal. That's just a nod to fluctuating stock prices. That happens all the time. So what? How much difference does it make to you, even as the owner of a share of stock or an index that holds that stock, when it goes down in value, if it's an investment account you're not going to touch for 30 years? Well, ditto these big companies. What does it matter to them if their valuation, based on their stock price and the number of outstanding shares in the market, goes down 20% and then comes back up 30% and goes down 20% again and comes back up 40%. So what? It means nothing to daily operations. So that that is an absolute zero on the factor of, of business results. I mean, unless it persisted to some extreme degree, 
the, if the valuation drops 90%, yes, that would be a problem. But, but normal stock market fluctuation, no biggie at all. And as far as getting through this period stronger and, and emerging more powerfully, well, they certainly have the cash to do so. I spoke earlier about their, their businesses gushing cash. They're still doing that during the downturn. And between them, these companies, Meta, Alphabet, Amazon, Microsoft, and Apple, they had nearly $300 billion in cash, excluding debt at the end of March. I mean, this is sovereign nation levels of finance. They, they're... <laughs> You don't, you don't get bigger than this. So they're certainly well prepared to get through a downturn and even better prepared to dominate their lesser prepared rivals and emerge stronger. So that's definitely going to get them through the ups and downs. And in this in this slower phase, they'll be able to acquire competitors. We've already seen some of that. Uh, Microsoft, you probably heard this, is going forward with its $70 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard that will grow its gaming empire. So there's a way to emerge stronger. You've seen big tech attacked in media for being monopolies. Uh, one benefit of being one, or an oligopoly, is that it's sure good for business. Did you know that 99% of smartphones are part of either Apple's or Google's app ecosystem? Yeah, and both of those giants collect commissions on all activity. You may have noticed that smartphones have caught on. I personally think they have a bright future. <laughs> I'm joking, of course. Yes, they're as ubiquitous as, as what? Getting up in the morning. I mean, they are everywhere. Not only do these two companies control 99% of that, of that market, but I would say we're going to eventually get to 99% market penetration of this. And this is a business that would, would persist and survive, even, even a total loss of semiconductors out of Taiwan for a few years related to recent talk about China possibly invading Taiwan. And if they could survive that by treading water, coming up with other features, other marginal improvements, you know, another lens on the, the iPhone, whatever number they're up to at that point, would be fine for a cycle or two. And then they would get new semiconductors and be able to, to continue up, up that improvement arc. Um, and, and it's just so profitable. I mean, people, people on their phones all the time, every time they buy a new app on there, these, these companies get a commission on that. Wow, <laughs> there's no chance of that being dislodged, and, and there's, that, that gives them almost endless amount of money to put toward innovating for something new and bigger and an even more dominant future. Uh, how about something else that shows an, an equally entrenched monopoly? That would be Google with its search page. That part is old news. The fact that most searches are done on Google and the fact that you know, Googling something has become a a verb that that's old news that that feels like a discussion from 10 years ago i'd say the the newer iteration of that discussion is that google has continued upping the profits it derives from search it's continued redesigning its search results page prioritizing its own content siphoning more and more of search activity into its own areas of the internet, which boost its specific profits. Now, this is something that the company said 20 years ago it wasn't going to do. If you ever look at a time lapse of the Google search results page, if you go back 20 years, you see all those, uh, at, at that time, familiar blue links. It was nothing but organic search results. And, and the founders of the company were even quoted as saying that, you know, we don't want to 
we don't want to mess with that because people are coming here to search and, and find the answers they need. And we're never going to interfere with that by putting ads or things that are not related to their search above the results that they came here to get. That was the, 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 the driving ideology of the company 20 years ago. Now there's debate about that. It has certainly changed what it prioritizes on that search results page, and the impetus for that change has been to boost Google profits. There's disagreement, though, on whether it has become less useful because of that. It does put ads on top. That's an obvious thing, but, but those ads are not always useless. Um, some, for example, if you're searching for a life insurance quote, you're definitely going to get life insurance ads at the top of those search results pages, but I'm not sure that's a problem. You are specifically searching for life insurance quotes, and if clicking one of those paid ads takes you to a quote page for a company whose, whose brand you recognize, you, you could argue that that's a useful search result, even though it is, it is providing Google with revenue and the company paid to put that, that link uh, at the top of the list. And similarly, with, with other searches, you, you, can, you can definitely see Google emphasizing its own resources, its, its quick snippet answers, um, it, its, its maps results, and, and other things at, at the top of the search results page, but it's not always less useful because of that. I'll come back to that one in a second, but I, I want to go through a, a great report I found at The Markup. Uh, the Markup, in case you don't know, is a publication that, that keeps an eye on big tech. Their, their motto is, big tech is watching you, so we are watching big tech. And they've got some, some excellent articles. I, I recommend the publication. The Markup found that Google devotes, quote, 41% of the first page of search results on mobile devices to its own properties and what it calls direct answers, which are populated with information copied from other sources, sometimes without their knowledge or consent. You've probably seen those on your own search results where you don't even have to go to another web page to get the answer. And you, you do always kind of wonder, is, is that really fair? I mean, whoever runs that website put that content on their website hoping that people would come to their website to get that answer. So when Google just scrapes it off of there and provides it right there on the search results page and the, the searcher can get the result of that website's hard work without ever visiting that website, eh, that does seem a little sketchy. And that's one of the things that the markup talks about. I want to go through one of their examples that they provided. Um, th this is a couple of years ago, but it's still relevant. This was in July of 2020, um, th this, this report I'm going to read to you from the markup. What they did then was uh, monitored a trending search in their data for one of the top searches at that time was myocardial infarction, which is the medical term for a heart attack. Gee, what a shock that that happened in summer 2020. Probably everybody is about to have a heart attack. <laughs> anyway, the markup went through and looked at how Google has piled up its products at the top of the page. It returned, number one, Google's dictionary definition. Not one of the private dictionaries, but Google's own dictionary definition. Next was a people also ask box that expanded to answer related questions without leaving the search results page. Then came a knowledge panel, which is an abridged encyclopedia entry with various links, and then a related conditions carousel leading to various new Google searches for other diseases. And all of that appeared before search results by WebMD, Harvard University, and Medscape. And what they found was a user would have to scroll nearly halfway down the page, about 42%, before reaching the first organic result in that search. Now, again, is that bad? Well, it's arguable. 
And then you say, well, why did Google make these changes? Well, duh. Quote from the report, Google makes five times as much revenue through advertising on its own properties as it does selling ad space on third-party websites. End quote. Therefore, Google hopes that your search takes you to one of its properties where its ads pay it more money. But it's a gray zone again. Do I care if Google makes more money on the way I get my answer more quickly? Right? I mean, many of the changes that have happened to Google search results in the past 20 years have helped users get answers more quickly. I'm thinking of myself. I'm not irked when I search on a restaurant's name, for instance, and Google shows me its map results. There's a reservation button right there and other common tasks related to searching on a restaurant, and it puts those in a box more prominent than the restaurant's own website, which sounds unfair to the restaurant, but most restaurant websites are useless. I mean, designers of those haven't even figured out. Put at the top of the page, when it's open, the phone number and stuff like that. You know, I always just want to know, is it open today? You can't find that anywhere on the website, but you know where you can find that? Google. Boom. There it is. So I don't really think that this is necessarily proof that Google is screwing over its searchers, its search customers, uh, in order to boost its own profits. It might be doing both things at once. I'm getting my restaurant info more quickly, and Google is getting higher revenue off whatever kind of activity I do. So we will... Uh, Leave that an open question, but but the, the main the main subject we're looking at today is just whether big tech is finished, and I I think the economists jumped to a hasty conclusion here. Big tech's businesses are so entrenched, they have such wide moats around them, and they are so profitable, so in control, that it's 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 unlikely that they're going to lose those cash cows in the near future. Very unlikely. And all of them are showing signs of putting that enormous cash balance to use, investing in a better future. Whether it's acquiring competitors, innovating new products, coming up with new features, or uh, I guess paying talent more, attracting new talent and retaining existing talent. All of these things should be better for the company's futures, and they, they've got entrenched businesses that will keep providing enough money to make those future investments happen. Now, most of my listeners are wondering about stock market impact. Let's have a quick look at that next. So what does it all mean to investors? I suppose it depends on what kind of investor you are. Here at the Kelly Letter, for example, we do invest in big tech, but it's via the NASDAQ 100 index, which underlies two exchange-traded products we use in our portfolio, TQQQ and QYLD. The beauty, one of the many beauties of indexes is that they're constantly updated. They, they add winners, they get rid of losers. Therefore, at any given time, the NASDAQ 100 will reflect the best of the market. Thus, even if big tech does lose prominence, we should be fine because, let's just say, Google, people got tired of searching with Google, they switched to something else, Google's revenue plummeted, Google fell out of the top you know, top 10, top 100, top 500 companies in America, well, then it would disappear from the S&P 500, various tech indexes, the NASDAQ composite, the NASDAQ 100, and so on. So this is a self-correcting mechanism. If big tech doesn't remain competitive, it won't remain in the indexes that, that investors like us use to access its profit potential, because that profit potential would have gone to somebody else who innovated better or somehow got a better beat on the future. 
I think the easy, quick takeaway is that if you are an index investor, you don't have to care about this issue at all because it's just talking about capitalism being at work. The economists might think that the, you know, the, the cudgel of competition is coming down on big tech and it's going to lose its prominence. I don't think that. But regardless of which side is correct, index investors don't need to worry about it because either big tech will stay in the indexes that are being used because it's continuing to contribute or it will be replaced by something else that does so. Now, if you're somebody who invests directly in stocks of the tech oligopoly, then you would need to watch this more carefully. You'd have to keep your finger on their relevance and know if they do have a bright future or not. I would submit that this is somewhat difficult to analyze. I mean, you can see that I have an opinion. If I were holding shares of any of these companies, I would keep holding them. Um, and if I, if I had extra cash, I would have bought into the downturn of the of the first half of the year for sure. I remember Morningstar saying that it thinks that the the 50% sell-off in Meta stock, for example, it was a great buying opportunity specifically because of that network effect of, of Facebook and, and other social media properties that Meta owns being highly entrenched, hard to unseat and so on. Even, for example, TikTok is doing well, but that doesn't mean that Facebook is going away. So um, I do have an opinion on whether whether these companies are going to remain relevant, and you probably do too. But if, if you can't arrive at a conclusion or, or, or you don't have confidence in your conclusion, then it would be good to switch over to indexes. And um, given the kind of conflicting information I shared today, it's one reason I recommend going with indexes instead because they, they provide a bit of a safety net under faulty decision-making either in the analysts that you follow or in your own conclusions or unexpected surprises, all of it. There are just so many advantages to indexes, which you, you probably already know about. I don't think I need to go through those now, but specific to this conversation, investing in technology via an index that is constantly updated, such as the NASDAQ 100, will guarantee that no matter who is the leader in the future, you will own a, a percentage of those profits. Thank you for listening. This is the Kelly Letter Podcast, and I'm Jason Kelly. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any of the links at jasonkelly.com to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms. And look at that, another entrenchment of Apple. Also at Jason Kelly, you will, jasonkelly.com, you'll find links to everything mentioned in this episode, including that the, the Economist report from July 27th, 2022 that report about Apple hiring Lamborghini's executive in Automotive News, July 28th of this, this year. The New York Times article from May 20th, Big Tech is getting clobbered on Wall Street. It's a good time for them. And then that, that rundown by the markup on Google's top search result, surprise, it's Google. That was from two years ago, July 28th of 2020. All of those links are waiting for you over at the show notes. And there's a comment section there. Feel free to dive in and interact with me and your fellow listeners. And you'll find the entire podcast archive. And the subject matter of each episode is right there in the title. So you don't have to worry about getting misled by some sort of clickbait. If you have a moment, please leave a review wherever you review podcasts. Apple would be good, but anywhere else is fine too. And even more than that, I would love it if you joined the Kelly Letter. Please subscribe today at jasonkelly.com, and I'll give you onboarding materials so you can start your own market-beating SIG plans. If nothing else, take a look at the performance chart there. Our plans are doing what they always do in downturns. They bought big going into it, and they're coming back more rapidly than the market, and that is what they do by design. 
I'd love to have you join that, and it's not too late. There's a lot of recovery to come. I send new letters every Sunday morning. If you're not ready for any of this, please join the free list at the top right of jasonkelly.com. Just put in your email address, click enter, and, and you'll be on your way. Current subscribers, thank you for doing business with me. I look forward to seeing you again this Sunday.